We will read from Proverbs chapter 16 this morning. We'll read uh, the chapter in its entirety. Proverbs chapter 16. Hear the word of the Lord. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. The Lord has made all for himself, even the wicked, for the day of doom. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord, for though they join forces, none will go unpunished. In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. The man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Divination is on the lips of the king. His mouth must not transgress in judgment. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for a throne is established by righteousness. Righteous lips are a delight of the kings, and they love him who speaks what is right. As messengers of death is the king's wrath, but a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face is life, and his favor is like a cloud of the latter rain. How much better to get wisdom than gold, and to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright is to depart from evil. He who keeps his way preserves his soul. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. The wise in heart will be called prudent, and sweetness of the lips increases learning. Understanding is a wellspring of life to him who has it, but the correction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The person who labors labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. An ungodly man digs up evil, and it is on his lips like a burning fire. A perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates the best of friends. A violent man entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. He winks with his eye to devise perverse things. He purses his lips and brings about evil. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. It is found in the way of righteousness. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. G.K. Chesterton once said, if I had only one sermon to preach, it would be a sermon against pride. Now, unfortunately, that does not seem to be the case. Uh, One of the things that I saw this week in my study was that uh, pride is one of the least preached on subjects in modern sermons and churches. And I think part of the reason for that is that we are all susceptible to pride, including uh, those who preach. And so we often feel inadequate uh, to preach on this subject. Pride really is the chief of all sins. 
It's the one that we're all prone to, and it is the one, if you think about it, that we uh, can least stand when we see it in others. Our subject this morning, of course, is this vice of pride and its opposing virtue of humility. And our key verse is verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, this is the central verse, not just of this sermon or even of this chapter. It's not just the central idea. This is the central verse of the book of Proverbs, quite literally. There are 457 verses before Verse 18, 457 verses after verse 18. It stands at the very center of the book of Proverbs. It's really the central warning of the book of Proverbs. It stands in stark contrast to the theme of the book, which we saw last week, which is the fear of the Lord. But more on that in a moment. Let's begin with the definition. What is pride? Uh, We all speak about it. We know we don't like it when we see it in others. We don't like it when we see it in ourselves, though we are often loath to admit it. But what is it? Well, pride is presented here in the book of Proverbs and throughout scriptures as a grave and serious sin. And as I said, it is a sin that we usually cannot stand in another person. And the reason for that, of course, is that uh, when someone is prideful and acts and speaks in prideful ways, that comes into conflict with our own pride. And that's the reason we don't like pride in others, because of our own pride within us. Sometimes we will tolerate it in a politician, uh, because we're far enough removed from them that we're not in personal contact with them, uh, and so their pride won't offend ours in that way. And the people that are offended by their pride are the people that we're happy to offend in our own pride. And so we'll select a political uh, candidate or a politician who we agree with, uh, and we're okay with pride in that way, but of course not uh, in their opposing uh, politicians. If it's someone that we have personal direct contact with, we dislike the sin of pride quite vehemently. But if we think about it, there are sorts of prides that we encourage, especially in our culture today, right? And they're not all necessarily, we don't mean the same thing by all of them. When we tell someone, or uh, or we might say that we're proud of our children, right? Is that necessarily a sinful pride? Well, what we mean by that might be simply that we're, we're happy with their accomplishments, that we're encouraged by the direction we see them taking their life. That might not be a sinful pride. It very well could be a sinful pride, though. We might uh, tell a co-worker or friend to take pride in their work, and it's possible to do that in a way that is not necessarily sinful, though it often is. But in our culture, when we think about pride, what is the first thing that usually comes to mind? It is the pride that is celebrated by various groups uh, within our culture. Of course, we think about the LGBT QIA+, the acronym keeps getting longer, uh, and they celebrate pride. They have Pride Month, they have Pride Parades, they have Pride Events. Many in our culture view this as a good thing. Of course, we see it as a sinful thing. So how do we define pride then? Is it the same thing when we see it in an individual as it is when we see it in a group or political movement? Well, at its most basic, we could define pride as a feeling of pleasure or satisfaction in ourselves or in our achievements. 
But people can be proud of things that aren't necessarily an achievement, right? People can be proud of their riches, uh, which they may have inherited and had very little to do with. People can be proud of their ethnicity, which again, you're born into that. You have no uh, choice in the matter. So it's not necessarily an accomplishment, but you can still have a sense of pride in it, a sense of pleasure in it. And that may be uh, putting it too mildly when we consider what pride is. Perhaps we should better define it by saying that pride is having a high sense of self-worth, of valuing yourself, your work, uh, your group that you belong to, uh, and here's the key, higher than others. We value ourselves more than we value others. We value the group that we're a part of more than others. And that's what irks us about pride in other people, isn't it? When they have this high sense of self-worth, of valuing themselves, it means that they're thinking better of themselves than they are of us. And our pride gets offended at that. And so we can't both be better than the other. And so pride brings us into conflict with other people. And we'll see that this morning. We try to excuse pride sometimes uh, by saying, well, it's the, the good kind of pride is self-respect. It's, it's good to have self-respect. Uh, or simply properly valuing yourself, right? Now, I'm not over, I don't want to overvalue myself. I just want to properly value myself. And then we see the, the bad kind of pride is overvaluing ourselves. But as we'll see this morning, all of this pride is at its core sinful. It's placing an excessive value on yourself that you don't deserve. And the problem with these value sorts of statements is that they're very subjective, right? Who determines when a person has moved from proper value to excessive value? Well, God does not us, but we want to determine it in our own minds. We're all happy to judge others and tell them that they have overvalued themselves, that they've crossed that line. Here's the interesting thing about trying to define pride biblically. We run into a bit of trouble if you look at the Hebrew word that's used, say here in Proverbs 16, 18, that it says pride goes before destruction. Well, if we search that Hebrew word throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we'll see that it is used positively in places, in a rather surprising way. The prophet Micah uses this exact word, and here is what he says, speaking of the Messiah, of Christ, in Micah chapter 5, verse 4, and he, that is the Christ, shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That word majesty is the same word that's translated pride here in Psalm 18, or Proverbs 16, 18. Isaiah uses this same word speaking of the Lord, and it's translated excellence, the excellence of the Lord. So this seems to make it difficult for us to properly define it, but I think it actually helps if we stop and think about it. If we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that as sinful creatures, we possess no excellence, no majesty of our own. So when we claim to possess majesty or excellence, we're lying. We're, we're puffing ourselves up. We're, we're claiming for ourselves something that rightly only belongs to God. 
That's what pride is, claiming a status for ourselves that we do not deserve. At its heart, pride is claiming to be better than we truly are. It's dishonest with ourselves and with others. And pride sneaks up on us, right? It's insidious. It catches us unaware, and it causes all sorts of trouble in our lives. Our hope, the Christian hope, is to abide with Christ, to be in his presence forever. And Christ told us in John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Well, what commandments is he speaking of that we are to keep? If we want to abide in his presence, abide in his love, we have to keep his commandments. He's speaking about the moral law written on our hearts, encoded for us in the Ten Commandments, and summarized by the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. It's the first and greatest commandment, Christ tells us. It summarizes for us the first four of the Ten Commandments. The second great commandment is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's Leviticus 19, 18. It's a summary of the last six commandments that regulate how we interact with other humans. After quoting these two passages, Christ goes on to say, there is no other commandment greater than these. Love God and love your neighbor. These are the two great commandments. If you would abide in Christ's love, if you would abide in his presence, keep his commandments, love God and love your neighbor. The problem with pride is that it makes this all but impossible. In the first place, pride sets us in opposition to God. Pride is claiming for ourselves excellence and majesty that rightly belong to God alone. It's the attempt of theft of glory, the glory of God that we want to claim for ourselves. Augustine defined pride as the creature's refusal to submit to God. He says in his great work, The City of God, quote, The dominion of the Almighty cannot be eluded. God reigns supreme over all. You can't escape that. And he goes on to say, And he who will not piously submit himself to things as they are, that is, as to God's dominion, proudly feigns and mocks himself with a state of things that does not exist. In other words, pride claims majesty and excellence for ourselves that we do not possess, majesty and excellence that belong to God alone. Every time our heart puffs up with pride, thoughts of our own excellence and majesty, we're lying to ourselves, setting ourselves in opposition to God. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. He thought to raise himself up above the Almighty Verse 5 of our text this morning says, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. An abomination. Pride is a sin that God hates. In Proverbs chapter 6, he gives us a list of sins that he hates. What chief sins, ones that God predominantly hates. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. Here's the first one on the list. A proud look. Pride is the sin that God hates above all others. 
James and Peter both remind us that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, they're both quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Surely he scorns the scornful but gives grace to the humble. Other translations say things like, uh, he mocks those who mock but gives grace to the humble. Or with arrogant scoffers, he is scornful, yet he shows favor to the humble. Or an English rendering of the Septuagint makes it clear that this is the Greek translation of the Old Testament is what Peter and James were quoting. The Lord resists the arrogant, but he gives grace to the humble. You can see the idea here is that those who treat others with scorn, with scoffing, with mockery, with arrogance, do not find favor with God. Those who are proud set themselves up as glorious, and they resist the glory of God, and God resists them. They've made themselves his enemies. By seeking to put ourselves first, we have set ourselves against the one who is the first and the last. Pride makes it impossible to love God with all of our hearts because our hearts are too busy loving ourselves, seeking our own glory instead. This means that we're defying God's commands and are not abiding in his love, but instead we're wallowing in our own self-love. And God opposes those who glory in themselves. He says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory I will not give to another. Now, God is not being an egomaniac when he says that. Rather, he's doing what is right, what is best. It's right because all glory rightfully belongs to the creator. We continue to exist from one moment to the next because he wills it. Any good or praiseworthy thing that we do, we only do because he wills it, because he works in us by his spirit We can't even continue breathing apart from God's willing it to be so. So it is right that all glory and honor and majesty should go to God. It's rightly his. Anything else is a lie. And it's good that all glory should go to God because as creatures, our greatest need is the goodness and the glory of God. It's to know our creator. If glory is given to us, we won't look beyond ourselves. We'll believe the lie and become blind to the truth of God. For glory to go to God means that our sight is drawn to him, his goodness, his glory, his majesty, his excellence. And this draws us to him both for salvation and for delight and for joy. But if we turn our gaze inward and glorify ourselves, then We miss the beauty of his holiness and majesty. So pride sets us at odds with God, our creator. And verse 18 says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride struts along in our minds and in our hearts with destruction following close behind it. A haughty spirit is essentially the same thing as pride. It's to have an attitude of superiority, to think highly of yourself and look down on others from the height of your own pride. But when you lift yourself up, you have further to fall. All of us are prone to pride. None of us are free from it. And all of us will eventually bow the knee to Christ in humility. 
either through repentance or through ruin. It's a terrible thing to have the Almighty God opposed to you, to set yourself to oppose him. It's a fight that we cannot win. In the end, we will all bow the knee to Christ, some with joy, some with sorrow. Verse 19 says, Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Who would trade all the glory and accolades of the world possessed for the brief lifespan of a human, 80 to 100 years at most? Who would trade that for everlasting torment away from the presence of the Lord, away from abiding in his love, his glory, and his mercy? That would be a foolish trade indeed, and yet we make it. We make that trade when we give in to our pride. We don't look beyond this life and we, we want the praise of men, the glory of ourselves here and now, without giving thought to the life to come. The scripture report, repeatedly warns us against this sort of short-sightedness. If you think about it, think back to what we discussed last week in the fear of the Lord. Pride is really the opposite of the fear of the Lord. Instead of fearing the everlasting judgment of Almighty God and humbling ourselves before Him, pride ignores that. Instead of fearing the displeasure of our Heavenly Father and seeking to delight in Him and in His presence, pride delights in our own petty ambitions and accomplishments. The antidote to pride, which we are all susceptible to, is to learn the fear of the Lord, which brings humility. Pride sets us in opposition to God. And because pride is self-focused, it prevents us from loving and delighting in God, which prevents us from obeying his commandments. Pride makes it impossible for us to keep the first table of the law, to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. Because instead, we're loving ourselves. But pride also sets us in opposition to our neighbor. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife. When we allow our heart to swell with pride, magnifying ourselves, this puts us at odds not only with God, but at odds with everyone around us. It's an important enough truth that it's repeated again near the end of the book of Proverbs in chapter 28 where it says, He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Why does pride cause strife with other people? Well, think about how we experience pride in others. It's usually in two ways. Primarily, we experience pride in another when they speak. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 3 says, In the mouth of a fool is a rod of pride. A rod of pride is in the fool's mouth. Now remember what we said about the fear of the Lord and the fool. The fear of the Lord leads to wisdom, refusing to humble yourself before the Lord. To rightly fear him is the domain of a fool. And here Proverbs is telling us that the fool who doesn't fear the Lord speaks pridefully. This may be the primary cause of strife between individuals, the boasting lips of the proud fool. This kind of pride causes strife because people don't want to be around the boastful person. 
who's always having to outdo everyone else, who's always having to, to one-up whatever it is that someone else has said. Obviously, Proverbs is telling us not to be that person. Don't be that proud person who is constantly boasting in yourself. Don't be the bragger so full of pride that you can't listen to other people and enter their sorrow, their grief, or their joy with them because you're too full of yourself. You can't keep your mouth shut. Whatever it is they're experiencing, you have to speak up about how much better you are or your children are or whatever the case may be. But I also want to caution us about how we respond to this sort of person who speaks with proud boasting. The temptation is to start looking for their faults and their failures and to take joy in them. But Proverbs, again, warns us, saying, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. So guard your heart that you don't begin to harbor resentment and bitterness against the proud person, to rejoice when they fall. That would be sinful, and that would be harm to your own soul because you're feeding your own pride, your own bitterness and hatred instead of loving them with compassion and mercy. The other way that pride causes strife between people is explained to us in chapter 21. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. You can see the contrast here. On on the one hand, if you guard your words, if you think before you speak, it will keep you out of trouble. But the proud and the haughty man doesn't do this, and his name is Scoffer. The scoffer is someone who speaks of or to others with contempt, coming from a place of pride. This is the person who always has to correct whatever someone else says. Nothing anyone else does is good enough for them, and they're going to tell you about it. Their ideas are better than yours. This sort of pride causes strife because people may suffer this scoffing for a while, but eventually someone is going to talk back or question the judgment of the arrogant scoffer. And the person who has given in to pride, we, 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 won't, we don't like to accept correction. And so becomes an argument, becomes strife between you and another person. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Just as pride makes it impossible to love God and to keep the first table of the law, so too pride makes it impossible to love your neighbor and keep the second table of the law. To quote Augustine once more, he wrote that pride hates a fellowship of equality under God and seeks to impose its own dominion on fellow humans in place of God's rule. See, not only does pride want out from underneath the sovereign rule of God and to elevate ourselves, but we want that sovereign dominion for ourselves over other people. Pride wants to control. It likes power. It wants to rule over others. Pride at its core is competitive. People are not actually proud of being rich or of being smart, or being good-looking. They're proud of being richer, smarter, or better-looking than others. Pride is competitive. C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. 
Pride wants to outdo others, to have more, to exert more power. The proud person cannot truly love others. Love suffers long. The proud person has no patience for those who do not agree with them, who do not praise them. Love is kind. The proud person doesn't show kindness to others. They scoff. Love does not envy. Pride does. Pride envies anyone else who's getting attention or who has more of whatever the thing we desire is. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. It's exactly what pride does. Pride is puffed up. Pride does parade itself. This is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. We could go through the whole chapter. That chapter on love in, in 1 Corinthians 13 is in the midst of Paul's correction of the Corinthian church regarding their practice of the spiritual gifts. The problem was pride. They all wanted to be the center of attention. They wanted to have prophecy, ecstatic tongues, a miraculous healing. It wasn't about serving others with your spiritual gift. It was about calling attention to yourself with your spiritual gift. It was about who had the greatest gifts, who had the most gifts, who had the flashiest gifts. It was pride. And that's why chapter 13 is there between chapters 12 and 14, because Paul is reminding them that you can't serve and love others when you're puffed up with pride. Pride puts us at odds with God, and it puts us at odds with our neighbor. And finally, it puts us at odds with ourself. Now, that might seem like a slightly odd thing to say. I mean, it's clear how pride puts us at odds with God when we're claiming majesty and excellence for ourselves that belongs to him. It's clear how pride causes division and strife with others as we puff ourselves up and look down on others. We scoff at them and treat them with contempt. But if pride is self-seeking, how does it put us at odds with ourselves? Well, remember that pride is the opposite of the fear of the Lord. And as we saw last week, the fear of the Lord is the first step on the path to wisdom, to wise living. The prideful person doesn't fear the Lord. They don't learn wisdom. And wisdom says in Proverbs chapter 8, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. So the proud person who won't humble themselves and learn wisdom is sinning against their own soul. When you refuse to learn the fear of the Lord, to listen to the instruction of wisdom, when you puff yourself up with pride and choose the path of death and destruction, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride does not pursue what is ultimately good for our souls. Delight in the glory and the knowledge of God. Pride is a soul-killing poison. When we give ourselves over to pride, our focus becomes turned inward on ourselves and away from God. God designed us to seek our satisfaction in Him who is our ultimate good. But pride twists the soul away from God so that it gazes at itself with adoration, looking for satisfaction within ourselves, feeding 
on itself in this way, the proud soul consumes itself and is starved of true spiritual nourishment, which is found in Christ alone, who is the bread of heaven. Tony Reinke writes and says that pride turns a man inward to find his purpose. It makes him feed on himself in search of satisfaction. Pride folds the soul over onto itself, shrivels it, and causes the soul to fade and to nearly disappear like Tolkien's Nazgul. He's alluding there to the image of the, the ring wraiths in the Lord of the Rings who have faded. They're no longer human. He's saying that's what pride does to us. It turns our gaze away from God and towards ourselves. It puts us at odds with God and with our neighbor. Fortunately, God, in his great wisdom and mercy, has called us to repentance and has gifted us with the Spirit to lead us to repentance so that we turn away from ourselves and focus our gaze once more upon Him, upon His glory and His majesty and turn away from our own sin, our own arrogant hearts. But we have to be careful as we pursue humility because pride will at times cloak itself as humility what we call false humility. It's pretending to be humble when you really aren't. It's intentionally depreciating yourself in, in an effort to elicit praise from others. Maybe you have a particular skill at something, and you use that skill, and, and you do something, and someone compliments you on it, and you go, oh, it's really not that great. Oh, it's nothing. You don't really believe that. You believe it really is that great. What you're trying to do is you're trying to get the other person to disagree with your false humility so that they'll say, no, no, really, it's wonderful. You did a fantastic job. We're trying to get them to compliment us more. We're trying to feed our pride and call it humility. This is a false humility. We were never humble to begin with when we do such a thing. This is pride in disguise. When people catch on to it, they dislike it even more than open pride because we recognize it for what it is. It's pride and it's deception. It's trying to use me to stroke your own ego. And no one likes to be used in that way. False humility, unfortunately, even happens in the church. Paul warned the Colossians against it. He said, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments and grows with the increase that is from God. False humility and the worship of angels. It seems that some were so puffed up by their own sense of religiosity that instead of approaching God directly through Christ, as we have been instructed in the gospel, they were making a show of humility. Oh, I'm going to approach Christ through other intermediaries, through angels, through saints. Look how humble I am. I won't even go directly to Christ. I have these others intercede for me. But scripture warns us against this. It says it's a false humility. It's nothing more than a cover for our pride as we want to say, look how religious I am. Look how pious I am. 
This is the same thing that we see in the story of the Pharisee and the tax collectors. The Pharisee goes into the temple to pray, Lord, thank you that I'm not like this other man. False humility. He's he's taking pride in his supposed religiosity. Pride is so sneaky. Even when we're trying to be humble or trying to be worshipful, we have to guard ourselves against pride, against thinking that we're more humble than other people are, which is pride. So how do we combat this? How do we put pride to death and practice true humility? Well, first, as we've said, we, we constantly have to turn to Christ in repentance, refocus our gaze on him. Martin Luther said in the very first of his 95 theses that the entire Christian life is one of repentance, refocusing our gaze on God and away from ourselves. Secondly, we need to recognize that being humble doesn't mean believing that you're inferior to others. Rather, it means recognizing where you stand in relation to God. This isn't about me versus them. This is about me in relation to my Creator. Here's what God says in Proverbs 15, 11, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the sons of men. God knows what is in our hearts. The anger, the bitterness, the envy, the greed, the lust, the pride. He knows it all. He sees it. It can't be hidden from him. We all stand condemned before the almighty judge of the earth. Paul says in Colossians, if we compare ourselves against other people, we are not wise. We need to see how do we stand in relation to our God. Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle writes and says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. In other words, we're all sinners condemned before the eyes of an almighty God, children of wrath. This is our inheritance by nature. Any distinction that we draw between ourselves and another human, trying to puff ourselves up with pride, is meaningless at best when we consider our standing before God. We all stand condemned before Him. At worst, it's a lie. We tell ourselves we're better and we're really not. But the apostle continues. Thankfully, we're not left there. The apostle continues and says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We have nothing to boast in. Pride wants to boast. Humility says, I have nothing to boast in. If I'm saved, it is purely by the grace of God, undeserved, unmerited on my part. 
for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you have faith in Christ for salvation, that wasn't your doing. That wasn't your goodness. That was the grace of God. If you are a child of God, adopted into his family, now inheriting with the saints in light rather than inheriting wrath, you don't deserve that. It's purely the grace of God. Humility is recognizing the grace of God in your life and recognizing that you are loved, that you are justified, that you are sanctified, that you will be glorified and put off the body of sin. And it is all by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Saints, don't think too little of yourselves. Christ died for you. Don't think too highly of yourselves. Christ died for you because of your sin. Pride is when we won't submit to that truth, when we won't submit to the truth of God's grace, and we begin to think too much of ourselves and too little of Christ. In closing, I want to give us four keys to humility. First, work hard to be thankful. Be thankful for grace, for salvation, for sanctification, as hard as it is at times. Be thankful for others and the grace of God in their lives. Instead of comparing yourselves and trying to puff yourself up, look for God's grace at work in the lives of others and be thankful for it. Genuine thankfulness mitigates against our pride, helping us see that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In James 1.17, all, all good things originate with God, not with us. Secondly, hold authority lightly. If you are in a position of authority over others, a husband, a parent, an elder or a deacon in the church, a manager at work, on the town council, president of the United States, I don't care what the position is, if you have authority, it's not yours. You're a steward of authority that has been entrusted to you by God. Don't define yourself by that title or by that authority. Define yourself by your relationship to God in Christ Jesus. Son, daughter, saint, beloved. Use your authority for good, but don't look to your position for fulfillment or significance. Look to Christ, who is all and in all. Third, when, when praise does come your way, give thanks to God. Don't belittle the gifts of God. Acknowledge them. If, if you use your natural gifting, your spiritual gift to do some work at home in the church or, or wherever, and someone tells you you did a good job, don't belittle it. Instead, praise God for the gift and the skill and the grace that came from him resulting in this good thing. Humility, true humility, delights in the task well done because it pleases God for the task to be well done. True humility delights in beauty created because it pleases God for beauty to exist. If you can take delight in something that is well done, well done, crafted, 
when someone else has done it, take that same delight in it when you have done it, not for your own glory, but for the praise of the glory of Christ in his good gifts to the children of men. And finally, if you would be humble, focus on serving others. Scripture tells us in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became a servant, obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Christ humbled himself and became a servant. How can we do any less than our Lord? Humble yourselves. Don't look for ways to serve yourself. Look for ways to serve others, to do good to others, to build them up rather than exalting yourself. And don't become proud of your service. Do it as unto the Lord. Remember that Christ humbled himself to the point of death on the cross in order to save us. And Paul continues there in Philippians, because of Christ's humility, he says, therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. It's above my name, it's above your name, it is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pride puts us at odds with God. It puts us at odds with our neighbor. It puts us at odds with ourselves. But humility and repentance restore what pride has destroyed, bring us back into right relationship with God so that we can humbly fear him and learn to live wisely. Let's pray.